Previous to being on staff here, some of you all might know I worked in a college ministry campus outreach for the past eight years at the University of Kentucky. And ever so often during my ministry there, I would get a text from a student about how they wanted to change in their life. And unfortunately, that text usually came later on a Friday or Saturday night after they had made one or two bad decisions. But here's usually how that text went. It starts, Luke, are you free for lunch this week? I'm really struggling. I want to do better, and I don't really know how. I've been learning a lot in our Bible study about God and his love, but then I mess up and I think there's no way God could really love me. If God really loves me, why do I keep on struggling? I just don't know if I can really change in the way God wants me to change. And I think if we're honest, that text is probably true for most of us as well. Most people I know, including myself, deeply want to experience change in this life. We all want to get better. But most people I know, including myself, don't feel like we are changing that much. We don't feel like we're getting any better. So how do you actually change in this life? Is it possible to actually change in this life? The Apostle Paul says to the Galatians and to us this morning, yes, you can. Yes, you can change. Because Christ has set you free, you are now free to actually change. But it's not going to be like you think. It's going to be much harder and much more wonderful than you can possibly imagine. So three questions from our passage this morning. Why can you change? How can you change? And what can you change? And I'll go through those one by one, starting with first. Why can you change in this life? Look at verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's interesting to note that usually when you get to this passage in Galatians 5, most of the attention gets put on the fruit of the Spirit and not on the Spirit that actually produces the fruit. We tend to jump ahead to the end, but by doing so, we cut off any real source for change. So why does Paul say you can change? What confidence does he have in that? His confidence is clearly not in the Galatians. He spent the whole letter rebuking them. His confidence is in the spirit that is at work in them. And that is what gets Paul excited, not just in Galatians, but throughout all his letters in the New Testament. The fact that God did not just send his son to save him, but he also sent his spirit to live inside of him and change him and mold him. And if you notice, it is a spirit that takes up all of Paul's attention in this passage. Seven times in ten verses. But here's the problem. The spirit usually doesn't take up much of our attention. Especially in our circles, especially in the Presbyterian church, the spirit can often make us more nervous and excited. And Paul would just say, we don't know what we have. We know we have God the Father. He's the one we pray to. We know we have Jesus. He's the one that died on the cross for our sins. But the Holy Spirit seems very foreign to us. He feels impersonal, distant, more like a force than a person. But that's not how Jesus talked about the Spirit. Mac reminded us us of this last week. He took us back to the upper room discourse in John 13 through 17, where Jesus is talking to his disciples the night before his death. And in that upper room discourse, he says some really shocking things. He tells his disciples that he is going to leave them, that he is going away. And his disciples respond with tons of anxiety. 
They don't understand how this person they could be following that they've given their life to is suddenly going to go away. But Jesus tells them things like this. He said, it is for your good that I'm going away. And not just that, not just for your good. He said, it's better. It's better that I go away. John 14 says this, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I'm going to the Father. He said it's better that he's going to the Father. Why is that? Well, Jesus tells us because when he goes to the Father, he will send us the Spirit. His presence, which had been located in one time and one place, is now going to live in all that believe through his Spirit. So his going away didn't mean the loss of Jesus at all. It meant the spread of Jesus everywhere. And that changes everything for us. Because when Jesus sends his spirit in Acts 2, it is the great sign, the guarantee that the reign of sin is now over. Forever. Now we'll talk more about what that means in point two. Because although sin has been dethroned, it is not destroyed. It is still present. And there's still a struggle. But for now, the reason Paul expects the Galatians to change is because their authority has changed. They now belong to Christ. You see that in verse 24. And because they belong to Christ, they have his spirit. So they are no longer ruled by their sinful flesh. They are no longer under the condemnation of the law. No, they belong to Christ. And it is his spirit inside of them that will enable the change in their life. So do you know who you belong to this morning? Because your answer to that question will make all the difference in your life. I read a fascinating article this week talking about the people of North and South Korea trying to answer the question, how did one people become two? And the writer traces the history of these two countries and answers the the question that we already probably know. How do two countries that are similar in size, natural resources, climate, backgrounds, how do they end up so different? Where one is flourishing and the other is desolate, all the way down to a 12-year difference in life expectancy. How are these two countries that are so similar, so different? And you already know the answer. Look at who's reigning. Look at the authority Because as the authority goes, so do the people. And let me remind you who your authority is. It is the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So sin has no reign on your life anymore, if you belong to Christ. It has no claim to you in your life anymore. So although your guilt and your shame are very real, your guilt and shame do not reign. Although your regrets might easily come to your mind, your regrets do not reign over you. Although your struggle with sin feels ever-present, your struggle does not reign over you. Christian, you do not belong to your sin. You belong to Christ. And it is His Spirit that is living inside of you right now, and that's the reason you can change. So how does that change actually happen? Because like I said, sin has been dethroned, but it has not been destroyed. The desires of the flesh do not just go away. So we've seen why you can change. Now let's look at how you can change. And you see very quickly into this passage, just because you have the Holy Spirit doesn't mean everything is now perfect. In fact, Paul says the opposite. 
If you live by his spirit, it will lead to more conflict in your life, not less. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And in this verse, has Paul ever been more relatable to us? There's so many things we can't relate to Paul on. But here he's saying, why is it that we want to change, but we oftentimes don't know how? Why is it that we do things at the end of the day that we just don't want to do? Paul says that's because for every Christian, there's a battle going on between two parties. Christ dwells in you through his spirit, but sin also still dwells in you because of the desires of your flesh. So sin is no longer your master, but it's now your enemy. And so we have a war on our hands. And that might feel very overwhelming. It should feel very overwhelming. And some of you might be like, yes, that's, that's going on in my life right now. And let me just pause and say, if you do struggle with sin, or if you are struggling with sin, that's actually probably a sign of the Spirit's work in your life. Because the Spirit is opposed to the flesh, and so there's a struggle. If there's no struggle with the flesh, that's greater reason for concern. But here's the good news. Look at how Paul says to fight this battle. He says in three different ways. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, be led by the Spirit. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. All these are his way of saying the same thing in different ways. And here is as clear as I can say what Paul is saying. Because you belong to Christ, his Spirit is inside of you, uniting him to you. And what that means is when Jesus died, you died. When he rose, you rose. He is in heaven and you are there with him. Everything of his, his holiness, his relationship with the Father, his righteousness is now true of you. And Paul says, while you're in this world, now go live like that. Keep in step with that. That's what he means in verse 24 when he says, And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. The flesh, your old sinful nature, was objectively crucified on the cross. That is true. But now, subjectively, in your day-to-day by the Spirit, your job is to live into that reality more and more. So what might this look like? I'll give you an embarrassing example from my own life. One of the greatest shifts that have happened in my life was four years ago when I became a parent for the first time. And I think that's probably a big change for anybody. But for me, it was an enormous change, mainly because I did not live like it. Even though Lydia was here in our life, I was still living like I was before I was a parent. Like I said, I worked in college ministry, and I was used to living like a college student. Late nights, no real schedule and structure. You change things very quickly. You go on their flexibility. They're very busy people, and so I became very busy in all my activities. So even though I was a parent now, I had not changed from my previous life. And that was a problem, because I was a parent now. That was true. It was not changing. I had this little girl here in front of me that needed me to wake up early with her, to be present with her, to slow down, to read and get down on the floor and wrestle with her, to provide stability and structure so she could grow up. So although I was a parent, I wasn't living like one, and I need to line my life up with the reality of who I was now. 
And in order to do that, what do you do? You crucify some things. You kill some things from my old life that didn't help me be a father. And I needed to come in line and come in step with what did help me be a father. I had to die to things. I had to come alive to things. And I really don't expect that to end. Because I'm still trying to keep in step with who I'm called to be as Lydia's dad. And that's what Paul's saying here. How do you change? You see that your life is coming in step with what God has made you to be. It is a gift and a responsibility. Change is a great gift for the Christian life because it's been given to you by God, by His Spirit to work inside of you. But it's a great responsibility as well to keep in step with the Spirit, to go to war with your flesh so you might become closer to who He has made you to be. But as that all lands on you, remember you're not your own. I was talking to Stephen earlier this week about this passage, trying to figure out this language of Paul. How in the world do we keep in step with the Spirit that seems so vague? How do you do that? And he simply responded, not on your own. And he's right. As we're going through Galatians, we have to constantly remind ourselves it's written to churches, not individuals. His Spirit not only unites us to Christ, but unites us to each other. That's why Paul ends this section in verse 26 by saying, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Verse 26 isn't just some throwaway verse at the end of this passage. It's how Paul says you can change because this is not just your battle. This is our battle together. We can either help each other in that battle or we can hurt each other in that battle. So what do we do? We follow the Spirit together. We kill our sin together, step by step, day by day, until Jesus brings us home. So when we do that, when we keep in step with the Spirit, what will that actually look like in our lives? How will we know change has actually taken place? What, what are the measurements? What are the standards? We've seen why you can change. We've seen how you can change. Now let's finish with what actually does change. And Paul tells us in the most famous verse from this passage, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And this should be very challenging to us because it challenges our perspective on what really matters in this life. There's a lot to be said here. Of course, about the fruit of the Spirit, you could spend a whole sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit, but I'll just try to point out two real quick. The first thing to notice is Paul says fruit of the Spirit, not works. When he talks about the flesh, he says works of the flesh. When he talks about the Spirit, he says fruit of the Spirit. What is he getting at here? It's supposed to be in direct contrast. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, and he goes on, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, divisions, envy, drunkenness, He lists out all these different sins, all-encompassing, external sins like sexual immorality or drunkenness, internal sins like jealousy or impurity. And he uses work to describe all these, the works of the flesh, not fruit. And that is because this is the life that naturally happens in this world. These are the works that we can naturally do by our flesh. It is so easy to cause strife, just a comment or a word. 
It is so easy to grow jealous of somebody else. They just have to walk past. How easy it is for us to fall into patterns of addiction. These are all our works. They're just so natural and easy. And that's why Paul says they're really dangerous. That's why he warns us that the continual practices of these things will keep us from the kingdom of God. Because these things over a lifetime will show that we are just of the flesh and not of the spirit. But when talking about the, sh- the spirit, Paul shifts his language. He uses the term fruit, not works. Because the works of the flesh are something we do. The fruit of the spirit is something that he does in us. One author puts it like this. We work out in our lives what God has worked into our hearts. It is not natural to love. It is not natural to have peace. It is not natural to have self-control. These must come from the Spirit. And why Paul says they are not from law. So that's the first thing. Fruit versus works. The second thing to notice about the fruit of the Spirit is he says fruit, not fruits. It's singular, not plural. Even though there are nine different attributes listed. What is he getting at here? We can oftentimes think of the fruit of the Spirit like another checklist, like a list of things to go through that must be added to our lives. We try to categorize them. We try to put them in different places. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't like non-different practices. It is more like non-different features of the same diamond. That's why the fruit's singular, because the fruit grow together in Christ. They reinforce each other, support each other, help each other. It's not like a personality test where you can kind of pick and choose which ones you're good at. You can't say, I'm a pretty loving person, but I'm just not that, that self-controlled. I'm not that disciplined. Or you can't say, I, I do have self-control. I just don't have a lot of joy in my life. You see, please don't mistake the fruit of the Spirit for just another list of to-dos. The fruit of the Spirit is not more for you to do. It's a person to become. That's why you need the Spirit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is Christ being formed more and more in you. That's what Paul has told us previously in Galatians 4. He is praying that Christ will be formed in us. And the fruit of the Spirit is that, is that being formed in us. A couple years ago, uh, Pastor Sandy Wilson, you all might remember, came to speak at our Good to Bluegrass conference. And during that time, he shared a story that really stuck with me. He mentioned they had once been counseling a couple that had been married for 20 plus years and they had fallen into some sort of a rut. Their marriage had, had grown cold and stale. And they came into his office seeking help, asking him questions. How can our marriage change? And he said after about five minutes, he realized what was going on. And he asked the wife to politely leave the room. He wanted a few minutes with her husband. After she left, he looked at the husband and he just asked him, can you name one time in the last year that Jesus made an impact on the way you treated your wife? He asked him, has Jesus changed the way you talk to her? Has changed the way you looked at her? Has he changed the way you respond to her? Anything. And the man's face was completely blank. You see, he was probably looking for a quick fix in his marriage, and hopefully he left seeing his need for more Jesus. That's the fruit of the Spirit that Paul is talking about here. The Spirit makes Christ come alive in our hearts and our lives, and it makes a difference. Because when you look back at the fruit of the Spirit, when you look back at Galatians 5, 22, don't you just see Christ? 
Don't you see his love for you that laid down his life for you? Don't you see the joy he had knowing he was bringing you to glory? Don't you see the peace he had to commit his spirit to the Father knowing he finished the work that we could not do? Don't you see the patience he had to know the sins that we would all struggle with and still go? Don't you see the faithfulness he has to show up on that day at the cross when everyone else around him had left him? Don't you see that this is all Christ and that that the Spirit is now making that Jesus come alive in you? That's the fruit of the Spirit. So let me ask you the question again. Can you change? You better believe it. Did Christ fulfill the law? Did Christ finish the work? Did Christ resurrect from the dead? Is he currently reigning at the right hand of God the Father? Is his spirit living inside you right now if you belong to him? If all that is true, and it is true, not only can you change, but according to Galatians 5, I would start expecting it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for that holy expectation even now, Lord, that we are so bogged down with our sins and our struggles that we can lose sight of your power and your spirit working inside us. And so I pray that you would bear fruit in our lives, that you would give us a hope of change, not that it comes from us, Lord, but that it can only come from you. May we bear much fruit, and may this world be blessed because of it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.